0: Good morning, it's good to see you today, very glad that you're here, it's a beautiful day, so thankful to be together. We pray that the opportunity that we have today to worship will be uplifting to all. We're very grateful for the opportunity to come together every first day of the week to worship God and to be be together as his people. I want to invite you to turn with me today to Psalm 102. Be looking with me today at Psalm 102. Last Sunday we talked about Elijah and the problem Elijah faced with regard to discouragement. We said that there are mountains and valleys in the lives of all people. It'd be great if we could all live on the mountaintop Fact of the matter is, sometimes we find ourselves in the valley. Discouragement can lead to despondency. Despondency can sometimes often lead to depression. Many of us have probably battled depression from time to time. It's not uncommon in this day and time. There are people that have chemical imbalances that necessitate medical attention. There are medicines that will help alleviate depression. And for that we're very grateful. Once you rule out that medical equation and you begin to think about depression and how how to battle it. I think it's helpful sometimes to go back and look at people in days gone by who have battled not just discouragement or despondency, but depression. They've been there. They understand what we're going through. Let me read for you a definition of depression. Medicine.net has this to say. Depression is an illness that involves the body, mood, and thoughts, and that affects the way a person eats, sleeps, feels about himself or herself, and thinks about things. Depression is not the same as a passing Blue Monday. Now many of us have had those Blue Mondays, Matter of fact, I suspect that for many of us, it's a common occurrence. What we're talking about, however, is much more serious. It is a reality, and there are so many people in our world today that are affected by depression. So I want to call attention to Psalm 102, because I think here we have a template for how to battle. Depression, how to overcome. And as I think about some of God's great people in days gone by, it's evident to me that there were any number of folks that became discouraged, despondent, and yes, even depressed. I want to begin today by first of all talking about the pain of the psalmist. Some have questioned the background of this particular psalm. It has been suggested that it has to do with those who had been exiled to Babylon as a result of Nebuchadnezzar carrying the children of Israel into captivity. So I want you to listen to what the psalmist has to say. The First thing I want to talk about is his attitude. In verse 1, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily. Now listen to him in verse 3. He said, my days are consumed like smoke. Sometimes when we are in the throes of depression, we find it difficult to attach meaning to life. And sometimes it's as if life becomes a blur. And our days run together, our weeks run together, our months run together. And sadly, there are occasions in life when we become distracted, and disengaged from life. And when you begin to think about some of the the signs of depression, you'll see that many times people withdraw. They isolate themselves and they have difficulty assigning meaning to life. I think about Job, probably one of the greatest characters in the Old Testament. And if you look at the life of Job and you see everything that he experienced, and I cannot imagine the depth of hurt that that man felt. But I read in chapter 2 after Job has experienced tremendous loss. The Bible says that three of his friends came. They came for the purpose of mourning with him and comforting him. And the Bible says, they sat down on the ground with him. And no one said a word for seven days. And the reason, because they saw his grief was very great. For seven days, this man had retreated from life. He had, as we would say, a major distraction. And he had become disengaged, From his daily activities. And that's what happens sometimes. And then I think about over in chapter 3. When Job laments the day of his birth. And And how he talks about his greatest fears had been realized. And then he would say. I'm not at ease. Nor am I quiet. He said I have no rest. For trouble comes. That's what happens when you become depressed isn't it? You can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't think. You can't can't get involved in the affairs of life because the burden is too great. So I think first about his attitude. But then there's a second thing I want you to see. It has to do with his aches. Listen to him in the latter part of verse 3. And note, if you would, as he describes, not just his immense pain, but his intense pain. He said, my bones are burned like a hearth. Here's a man who, is, who has been deeply affected. His body is hurting. Every fiber of every being in this man is in pain, and then because of the gravity of the situation, listen to what he would say down in in verse four. My heart is stricken and withered like grass, and then he says, so that I forgot to eat bread. And because of the sound of my groaning, he said, my bones cling to my skin. Let me just pause here. I said that when we're depressed, sometimes we become distracted, disengaged, We find it difficult to do the most trivial of tasks. We find it extremely hard to get involved in the affairs of life. We retreat. We don't want to eat. We can't sleep. We toss. We turn. We're We're not focused. Here is a man because of the depth of his sufferings. He's saying, I can't eat a thing. He had become literally skin and bones. You ever seen somebody like that? Because they're hurting so badly, so deeply. Their pain is immense. Their pain is intense. I feel for people who find themselves in the throes of depression. It may may seem hard to wrap your mind around this thought. But there are people who are so depressed and so despondent in life that to take this book, this Bible, and to move it from here to here takes everything they have. That's depression. And that's what we're talking about. People who are so so low in life. The psalmist... Is grappling with pain, severe pain. And yes, it's affecting his physical life. It is affecting his emotional life, his mental life. And sometimes if we're not careful, it can affect us spiritually. So first his attitude, then his aches. But then, note if you would, his agony. In verse 4, he says, My heart is stricken and withered like grass. In other words, what he's saying is, my heart is broken. You ever seen somebody with a broken heart? It's a pitiful picture. There are people because of the circumstances of life, maybe because of illness, disease, possibly the loss of a loved one, Or some other extreme circumstance in life. And their heart is broken. They're grieving and they're hurting. That's where the psalmist is today. The psalmist is saying, my heart is broken. It's wide open. Many of us have been there. So he talks about his agony. And then, I guess to cap it all off, he says, he's alone. Look if you would at verse Look at verse 6. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like an owl of the desert. I lie awake. And he said, I'm like a sparrow alone on the housetop. You ever been there? Have you ever felt so isolated and alone? It's as if No one is there for you. I want to suggest that sometimes we have the feeling, the feeling of being forsaken by friends, family members. Sometimes we feel forsaken by those around us. Maybe it's intentional, maybe not. I think about the great apostle Paul when he said at my first defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. You know, to feel alone. That I'm battling uphill by myself. And there are some folks that hurt that deeply. Not only can this breed feelings of being forsaken, but also feelings of being forgotten. You ever known somebody who's battling despair and who's been discouraged and despondent, who is now depressed? And sometimes we begin building a case in our mind. The case may be true, it may be false, it might be a straw man argument, but there are times in life when we come to the conclusion, everybody's forgotten about me. Nobody ever thinks about me. Well, that may have been where the psalmist was. As a matter of fact, I know for a fact the psalmist felt all alone. Is there anything worse in life than being surrounded by people, but feeling alone. Isn't it amazing we live in a world of seven billion people? We work with people, we interact with people all the time, and yet, amidst this great sea of people, we feel alone and isolated, all alone with our problems. And Let me tell you what, that's how the psalmist felt. So we think about his pain, and it was very real. But I want you to note, if, if you would with me, in the second place, think about his provisions. If we were to stop with his pain, if we were to conclude our lesson by simply focusing in on the pain, it would be so negative. But the psalmist is reminded of all of the great provisions and blessings that he had. So I want to talk a little bit about the provisions of this man in days gone by. I want to begin by first of all reminding us of the abiding presence of the Lord. And I want to say that again. I want to remind us of the abiding presence of the Lord. Listen if you would to what the psalmist said down in verse 12. He said, but you, O Lord, shall endure forever. And the remembrance of your name to all generations. We serve an eternal God, don't we? And when I think about the God of the Bible, the psalmist in Psalm 90 talks about how before the mountains were ever brought forth, he said, you're from everlasting to everlasting. You're God. God can rise above the valleys that we face in life and to recognize that there is this God and that his abiding presence is very real. Let me suggest to you that first and foremost, God has always been there for his people. That's important. And we talk about looking back at the past and learning from the past, there's something that leaps out of scripture. And that is, God has always been there for his people. Go back to Genesis chapter 39. Do you remember when Joseph had been sold out by his brothers and he finds himself down in Egypt and he's in the household of Potiphar? And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 39, and the Lord was with Joseph. The latter part of the chapter, Joseph has been sold out again by Potiphar's wife. He's in prison. Two times in that context, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Now think about that for a minute. Three times in one chapter, God is saying he was with Joseph, wasn't he? Do you remember over in the book of Daniel in chapter 3, the three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they were cast into that burning, fiery furnace, and yet in the midst of that burning, fiery furnace, who was there? One likened to the Son of Man, the presence of God. A couple of chapters over, we read of Daniel himself cast into a den of lions. And Daniel acknowledged He had been spared by God, had he not? Was God with Daniel when he was in the the den of lions? Yes, he was. So, over and over again, we read about the fact that God has always been there for his people. But now I want you to think about this. Not only has God always been there for his people, but God will always be there for his people. Past tense, God's always been there present tense, God will always be there. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? Do you remember when God commissioned Joshua? In Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, Joshua was asked by God, have I not commanded you? Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'll tell you what, that's encouraging, isn't it? Here's Joshua about to lead the people of God into the promised land. And God's saying with him, look, just as I was with Moses, I'll be with you. God's saying, I'm going to stay with you. Over in the book of Hebrews, the writer says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now think about that. God's saying, I'm not going anywhere. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And then I think about the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, when he said, the Lord is at hand. Paul was in a Roman prison, chained to a guard. And yet he could say to the church at Philippi, I know God is right here with me, the Lord's presence. Do you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 4 when Paul alluded to a moment ago? Paul talks about how all men had forsaken him But he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Now think about that. Paul's saying, everybody else abandoned me. I'm all alone. And yet, here's God. God is standing by. The abiding presence of the Lord. God is always with us. There's a second thing I want you to see. And that is the active pity of the Lord. Drop down and look, if you would, at what the psalmist says in verse 13. You will arise and have mercy or pity on Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come for your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory Let me just pause there. God is a merciful God. Over in the 103rd Psalm, David would say in verse 13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And then he would say in verse 14, for he knows our frame. And the footnote is, he understands our frame. He remembers we're dust. Does God not know us inside and out? He does. Is God not a God of mercy and pity? When I think about the active pity of the Lord, I'm reminded of his compassion, the compassionate nature of the Lord. You know, the Hebrew writer said, We have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Does the Lord have the ability to sympathize with me? To understand? Does he understand? Yes. Go back and look at the ministry of Jesus. Do you remember in Mark chapter 1 when a leper came to him? An outcast, an unclean man. They lived alone and isolated. And this man comes and kneels in his presence and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. The Bible says the Lord had compassion on him. To know that we serve a compassionate God. Does God understand? Yes, He does. When I have feelings of discouragement, despondency, and depression, does God know what I'm feeling? Yes, He does. So not only do we think about the compassion of the Lord, but the care of the Lord. In Psalm 55, The psalmist is facing some tough, tough times. And amidst those difficult days, he would say, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will not allow or suffer the righteous to be moved. Do you remember the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5? When he said, casting all your care on him, and then he follows that up with this statement, this qualifying statement. He said, for he cares for you. Did God care about his people when they had been exiled to Babylon? Yes, he did. Did God care about his people when they were in Egyptian bondage? Yes, he did. As a matter of fact, he said, I have seen your tears. I've heard your cries. God cares. We live in a world, as I said, of some 7 billion people. and There are millions upon millions of people in our world today. If you were to ask them, do you believe God cares about you? You know what they would say? I don't believe it. I don't think God would care about me. I don't think he would love me. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says he does care about us. But he is a compassionate God. And so, when you look at the pain of the psalmist, pain is very real. And he is down in that valley. But he is reminded of the abiding presence of the Lord. He is reminded of the active pity of the Lord. And then thirdly, he is reminded of the assurance of prayer to the Lord. I want you to listen again. You know, sometimes when we're faced with depression, we're not thinking clearly. Our perception can become skewed. We don't see life as it really is. Sometimes in the depths of despondency, we don't know what to do, and so we don't do anything. The psalmist had the presence of mind to turn to God. So listen to him again in verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Listen to him. Incline your ear to me. In the day I call, he said, answer me speedily. Here is a guy who is hurting. And he has reached out to God. What does that say to me? It says, number one, God hears our prayers, doesn't he? The psalmist had the presence of mind to know he could turn to God. Look look at what he says down in verse 17. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. Do you ever have the the idea, the feeling, that God really wouldn't be interested in hearing what you have to say to him? You know, sometimes we're reluctant to come before the throne of God and to lay bare our souls. Maybe we feel like God doesn't want to hear it. Maybe we feel like that it would upset him if we continue over and over and over again to invoke his name and to plead for help. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says God's ears are always open to his people. He never closes For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers. The psalmist back in Psalm 55 said, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 15, The prayer of the upright is his delight. Look, God is always open for business, so to speak. So we can come before the throne of God and literally lay bare our soul. Think about it in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. I think about the Hebrew writer giving these people a pep talk. And saying, let us draw boldly unto the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have needs. We have wants. We're hurting. We're suffering. And what does does the Hebrew writer say? He says, you take that to the throne of God. And you lay bare your soul with the expectation that God will do what? He'll have mercy. He'll hear. And he'll be there. So I think about God hears our prayers. And then there's a second part of this, and I think it's very important. He honors our prayers. I mentioned a moment ago Psalm 55. In verse 17, evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. And then here's what the psalmist said, and he will hear my voice. John in 1 John chapter 5 said, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And he said if he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. The psalmist is pleading with God to intervene in his life, to rescue him, to help him. Now I want to ask you a question. Does God hear our prayers? Yes, he does. Does God honor our prayers? Yes, he does. Let me close by reminding you of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane pouring out his heart to the Father. Luke said while in Gethsemane that Jesus being in agony prayed more earnestly. Jesus was agonizing over the cross and all of the things that would come with the cross. And he is struggling mightily with what lay before him. The Hebrew writer provides a commentary of that. In chapter 5, verse 7, he said, Who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications, listen to him, with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he feared. Now I want to ask you, does God care enough about us to hear us and honor our prayers? Yes, he does. So you may be here today let's just say that you like the psalmist are battling discouragement or despondency or depression I would remind you of the abiding presence of the Lord he's always with you I would remind you of the active pity of the Lord and I would remind you of the assurance of prayer to the Lord what's the song we sing from time to time where could I go but to the Lord. There are times in life when the only resource we have is to turn it over to God. So if you're here today, maybe you're not a Christian. And maybe your life is out of control and you need God in your life. Let me tell you, no better time, no better day than to begin than today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2. What would you need to do to become a child of God? Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would willingly give up a life of sin in the world, confess the greatest name known to man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and be baptized, as Peter said on Pentecost Day, for the remission of your sins, for forgiveness The assurance is I will be merciful to your unrighteousness and your sins and your iniquities as the Hebrew writer said, I will remember no more. God will wipe the slate clean. And then maybe you're here and you're a child of God. Your life's not what it been. Your life is, is not what it ought to be. And you have left the Lord. And you'd like to come home. The good news is, you can come home. You know, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want to to say this. You may be here today, and you're hurting, and you're struggling. And you're trying to do your best every day. But you're in the throes of depression. And you're trying to work your way out. Could I tell you that we'd be happy to pray with you and for you? Because we have that right. You know, the Bible says pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray for you today, pray with you. I think there's power in prayer. James said the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. You may need prayer. And we'd love to pray for you today as we stand and sing.